BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What's up, hockey fans? Welcome to the Hockey News pregame show brought to you by BetMGM and NorthlandHockey.com. I'm Michael Trikos. With me, as always, Ryan Kennedy. Ryan, let's get right to it. Let's talk about those Edmonton Oilers. Uh, November 9th, tied for the worst record in the NHL with the San Jose Sharks. Fast forward to today. Uh, they are third place in the Pacific Division, having rattled off 12 straight wins. And... Now, how are we feeling about these Edmonton Oilers? Are they back to being what we thought they were at the beginning of the year, a Stanley Cup contender? I believe they are. And it's funny because on this show, I remember probably around mid-November, mm-hmm. they had like a three-game three game stretch. And I remember saying, okay, if they lose all three, season's done. <laughs> they did not lose all three. I think they lost two of three. But it's like, okay, well, they got that one win, so they're not dead in the water yet. It's all it and, takes. <laughs> and, and then they just they built. And the coaching change obviously was a watershed moment for them. Yeah. And was it Woodcroft's fault? I don't know. You know, what did Knobloch bring to the table that was so different? Was it just a wake-up call they needed? It's, it's kind of hard to say. I'm sure they've made some, some little adjustments, but we've seen much better play uh, from a goaltender like Stuart Skinner, mm-hmm. right? Like, at one point, he and Jack Campbell were literally, like, the worst goalies in the NHL if you go by goals saved above expected. Now, Jack Campbell's been in the minors. Uh, Calvin Pickard came yep. in, and he, he's been the backup. But Stuart Skinner, he hasn't had a bad game in a month. He's won eight straight. And in that time, it's basically like two goals or less. You know, at the beginning of that streak, I think he gave up three goals in a game. But uh, no longer the worst goalie in the NHL. He's uh, still in the bottom third, but he's working his way back up there. And then I also look at uh, a player like Evan Bouchard, right. who really struggled at the beginning of the season, but now he seems to have found his level. He's a point-per-game player. Uh, I mean, he was, he's always been offensively inclined. But now we're seeing him really sort of play to that potential. And, of course, the big guns are always firing in McDavid and Dreisaitl. So I I feel pretty good about the Oilers right now. Yeah, they might be actually a better defensive team than I gave them credit for. And I was actually surprised about this stat. Like, only one team in the NHL has allowed fewer shots against than the Oilers, and it's the Carolina Hurricanes. And, Mm. you know, when you think about Carolina, you think of that defense and how strong Mm. it is, and that really is their trademark. When I think of the Oilers, I don't think of strong defensive team, mostly because every shot against was going in early on, right? So it's hard to think, oh, strong defensive team. All you're thinking is, okay, the goaltending stinks, and um, this is a team led by McDavid and Dreisaitl, and all they think about is offense. So, you know, maybe we've got to reevaluate. And, 
It's funny you mentioned the coaching change. 22-6-0 since they uh, went to Chris Knobloch and Paul Coffey. And I wonder, like, mm. that, that's something that we don't really talk enough about also is it wasn't just the head coach. They brought in Paul Coffey who, you know, I know Paul Coffey from just talking to him over the years. And whenever you talk to Paul Coffey, it's all positivity. Mm. Um, he loves watching guys make plays. He loves, like, he loves skill, and yeah. when you talk to him about like the Colorado Avalanche and Kale McCarr and what kind of defenseman he is, all he says is like, "Make me entertained." Right. Um, so it's a perfect kind of fit, I thought, when they brought him back to Edmonton. Is you know maybe he's going to try to shore up the defense, but ultimately he wants guys like Evan Bouchard making plays. He wants them getting the puck up to McDavid and company. So. Um, yeah, so far so good. That coaching bump is for real. Yeah, and that's a great point about Paul Coffey and, and, and making plays. Because with Evan Bouchard, I remember in his draft year talking to scouts, they were saying, Evan Bouchard, best stretch pass in the entire draft class. Oh, okay. Yeah, like that was one of his things, is he could really transition the puck up the ice. And then, of course, he's got that bomb of a shot yeah. from, the, uh, from the point as well. So... A very interesting point there, and, and and I think Evan Bouchard has definitely benefited from Paul Coffey. And if it's a combination of good vibes and you know an emphasis on skill, clearly that was exactly what Evan Bouchard needed. Now here's the thing I'm going to ask you. Okay, so of those 12 straight wins that Edmonton has rattled off, uh, seven of those 12 teams that they faced were non-playoff teams. Like really, their main competition in that last little while has been Toronto, which they beat, obviously, Philly, L.A., the New York Rangers, and the Detroit Red Wings. Looking ahead, the schedule doesn't get much harder. Like, they've got the Calgary Flames tonight, which is always going to be good. Calgary's playing really good hockey right now. But after that, they're at home to Columbus, at home to Chicago, and at home to Nashville. Could we see this win streak get to, what is that, 16? Yeah. See, this is very interesting because you get those trap games, right? Right where it's but they like are beating up the well. crappy competition. If you that want to call true. them that, like that is true. The Battle of Alberta is going to be the big one, right? Because yeah. as you mentioned, Calgary playing well, Flames and Oilers obviously hate each other, and you know the Flames would love to end the streak tonight. So mm-hmm. that's going to be the big one. But I would say. That next game after, is it Columbus you were saying? Yeah, the Columbus sat home on uh, the Tuesday. Yeah, that's the one you got to be careful of because it's like, all right, you know, like say they beat Calgary, then they're feeling good, you know, they vanquished their rivals. And then you get into Columbus where you're like, ah, whatever, it's the Blue Jackets. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, like Adam Fantilli hangs three on you. (laughs) If Uh, he's in the lineup. (laughs) Yeah, if he's in the lineup, I guess so. Uh, Him or, let's say, Kent Johnson. (laughs) But uh, They don't like their young kids in Columbus for some reason. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. But, uh, I mean, it, it could go that far. Now, granted, this is the same team that lost to San Jose early in the season uh, when they were both in the depths of despair. So you never know. But, I mean, yeah, legitimately, this could be a big-time streak. Another team that's really just scorching hot right now, the Philadelphia Flyers, have not come down to earth. They've won five straight games I would argue a lot of the success right now with the Flyers is because of their goaltending, and it's mm. it's Carter Hart and it's Samuel Urson. Who the heck is Samuel Urson, uh, Ryan Kennedy? <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? The Flyers, I think they've done a very good job over the years drafting goaltenders. Like, they typically take at least one per draft, mm. and they've been doing that for a long time. And the benefit there is, you know, goaltenders are so hard to scout. 
right? right? I mean, you're, you're typically going to wait at least five, six years before you even consider one of them to be in the NHL. But the benefit is that when you give yourself a bigger pool to work with, a guy like Samuel Erson might hit, right? And, you know, you look at Philly, and they've had a couple of guys over the years that have been able to sort of, like, jump in and jump out. You know, like Anthony Stolarz was a draft pick. Felix Stanstrom was a draft pick. Obviously, Carter Hart was a first, you know, he was a a high, yeah, he was a first rounder. Um, You know, he was sort of, like, the one that we expected to be the starter. But you always have to get those... Those other guys, whether they're backups or a 1B or whatever you want to call them. And right now, right now, Samuel Erson is taking advantage of the opportunities he's been given and really helped this team out. Yeah, it's been a kind of a surprising, obviously, season with the Flyers. No one expected that they'd be where they are, um, much less John Trotarello, who kind of hinted at, you know, as we get closer to this trade deadline, that the Flyers might make some moves that are a bit head-scratchers for a mm. team that's sitting top three in their division. Um, you know, that they might actually be, I don't want to say sellers, but, you know, some of those guys who are on expiring contracts might be going out the door. Do you think that's the right move for where they are and where they hope to be? You know, this isn't a one-and-done team, I think. Mm -hmm. They're thinking next year or the year after where some of their young picks are going to still continue to develop. What do you think of that kind of strategy if the Flyers end up sending maybe like a Mark Stahl Mm -hmm. out the door or... Just looking ahead at who's their UFA is like a Nick Sealer, maybe yeah. a Sean Walker. These aren't big names, granted. Um, maybe even a Cam, Cam Atkinson, who's got you know one other year remaining on his contract. Yeah, I mean it's going to be very interesting to see what the Flyers do. And you know, GM Daniel Briere has done a, a very good job so far, and you know Tortorella has really sort of uh, honed that culture that he's known for and, and got a lot of buy-in. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, I, I guess they still see the long term where, you know, you're building around these young guys where, you know, Joel Farabee is, is still only 23. Um, you know, Travis Connecting is 26, but it, it really feels like he's going to be one of those guys that the Flyers really sort of, like, he's like a a cornerstone or close to it. I, I, I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think so. You know, yeah. Noah Cates, 24. Um, you know, uh, Jamie Drysdale, who they just brought in, is only 21. Cam York has been good for them. He's only 23. And then you look at the goalies, Urson and Hart, you know, 24 and 25. So, you know, if it's Mark Stahl, he is 37. Um, it, it does make sense. Like, Mark Stahl is probably not going to be a flyer for more than one or two years anyways. He was, like, one of those good veterans that you bring in and kind of stabilizes things. Yeah. And, obviously, you know, ev- everything has worked out pretty well. Um, it will be interesting to see because when a team is playing as well as they are, typically you want to reward them at the deadline and say, yeah, we believe in you guys. Let's bring in, yeah. you know, uh, a, a big name to sort of get us over the hump. But I think the Flyers are being really pragmatic here and saying, okay, it's been a great year. We want to keep building on this, but can we hang in a seven-game series with, you know, a Carolina, a New York Rangers, even like looking, you know, crossover, can, can they hang with a Boston or a Florida? Maybe that's the sort of long-term thinking they're looking at. It's like, okay, well, we want to get into the playoffs. We want to be competitive, but we're not ready for that next step yet. So let's not sort of, you know, blow the bank on a big deadline acquisition when we still have assets 
coming up that we like. Yeah, I would argue that just making the playoffs, even going out in the first round, that's a victory there. Yeah. Mike, we're going to talk a little Toronto here. Austin Matthews is now on pace to break 70 goals this season. Does he do it? And if so, do you give him the Hart Trophy? Uh, yes to number one. I think he gets 70. Mm-hmm. Um, that's crazy to think that he's going to get 70 goals. Well, let's just put that into perspective. He's yeah. got 37 goals in 42 games. He's on. He could get 50 and 50. I don't even know if that's something that people are really talking enough about. True. It's insane that, you know, 13 goals in the next seven games, and for a guy who scores in bunches, mm. I think he'd do it. Uh, so yes to the first question. Uh, I think he gets 70 this year, uh, which, again, just mind-boggling. But I don't know if he's a, a Hart Trophy guy. Um, mm. I, I still, if I'm going to rank it, I still got Nathan McKinnon ahead of him. Um, I even think a guy like Connor McDavid is ahead of him. There's just too many options in Toronto. I think the way that ne- William Nylander has started out in the first mm. half, I think it's very much a who was more important to the Leafs at certain times. And yeah. I think Nylander was more of a factor, despite the fact that we're talking about 37 goals from Matthews. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like the Leafs in general have been, you know, they've been a little wonky so far. I think that's fair to say, you know, goaltending problems, things like that. Um, you make a good point about Nylander because I would say he was probably their first half MVP. Yeah. Um, so in that, you know, in the spirit of the voting, it's like, okay, well, if one guy was more valuable for a big chunk of the season, it's probably not the other guy. Um, but... Also, where Let's the go Leafs back to are legacy. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're just kind of. I mean, they're in the wild card. They're you they're know, a good team. They're a good they team, should, not a great team. Yeah, yeah. I kind of ha- find it hard to give them the the Hart Trophy unless they're leading the division at least. Yeah, yeah, fair. So um, I want to get more into the Hart Trophy in a second. But going back to Matthews, you mm-hmm. were crunching some numbers, and something we really I don't think I've talked about. You know. Obviously, Alex Ovechkin is going after Wayne Gretzky's record. Mm-hmm. But could Austin Matthews go after the record if he continues the pace he's been on so far in his career? It, again, it sounds crazy, and we're really early. Um, health is going to be a huge determining factor, but you know, let's look at it. Um, Austin Matthews is, has played seven and a half seasons. So you know, through 523 games, he has scored 336 goals. Um, Ovechkin, after playing eight seasons, he, had, he was at 601 games. Um, he had scored 371 goals. Now, Matthews is scoring at a higher uh, goal per game rate. And one thing that's really working in his favor is, you remember, like Ovechkin took a year to get into the league because of the lockout. Mm-hmm. Um, so Matthews has played um, one more season at a younger age. If there's no lockouts, and again, if this Toronto team remains, you know, basically centered around a core four that is all offense based, mm-hmm. I think there's a chance. Like he's obviously going to go down. I think oh, Matthews he could retire today and be one of the all-time greatest U.S. goal scorers. True. Um, and I think he's on that pace where he's going to be challenging Ovechkin for, you know, most goals all time. And you know, let let's see where it ends. Like we're talking about. It's so easy to score when you're in your 20s, mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe even early 30s. Yeah. Um, as we're seeing with Ovechkin, it gets a lot harder once you get more gray in your hair. 
Yeah, yeah. I will say the one advantage Matthews would have is that when you think of Ovechkin, he's got his office. It's the big booming shot. You know, over time, mm-hmm. you would think that people would figure out he was always <laughs> scoring from there and they could defend against it. And also your shot, you, you probably lose a little something off it as time goes on. I haven't looked at the NHL edge numbers mm-hmm. to uh, confirm that, but I would kind of assume that over time. With Matthews, it's more about disguising his release and the deception that he gets off that really good wrist shot. So maybe that works in his favor, but obviously injuries and longevity are something that you can't really predict. Uh, so that would be a tremendous X factor. Going back to the heart, I think Nathan McKinnon is a great candidate. Uh, I would agree with you there. Nikita Kucherov has generally been leading the scoring race. Sometimes it you know, goes back and forth and, you know, because McKinnon is up there too. Right now, Tampa Bay is kind of hanging on for dear life in the wild card race. You know, again, we see movement there. Detroit's there. There's a couple of teams that could cross over from the Metro division that are all kind of bunched up. And then, of course, you know, Toronto is in the mix there. They're like a little bit ahead because the game's played. This is a debate I love. Okay. If you are going to win the Hart Trophy... Does your team have to make the playoffs? Yes. I agree. 100%, yes. And, and it's one of the reasons why uh, when Edmonton wasn't making the playoffs, I didn't vote Ovechkin. And right. um, when Ottawa wasn't making the playoffs, I wasn't voting Eric Carlson. Mm-hmm. Um, and Carlson, I remember getting this discussion at the awards with, uh, uh, I think it was Carlson and Drew Doughty uh, were talking about this and how Drew Doughty was saying, his game changes if he's on a contending team versus a non-contending team. Really? Yeah, he says, if I'm playing for a Stanley Cup contending team and I know we're, every win matters, I'm not just going to be thinking offense, offense, offense. Gotcha. Whereas he's like, hey, if we're out of it. <laughs> Roll the dice. Roll the dice. I'm, I'm going end to end. And it totally changes how you play. And I didn't really believe it. And then, you know, you see what Eric Carlson did last year in San Jose, and you look at what Eric Carlson's doing this year in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And fine, Pittsburgh's not a playoff team, but they're but trying to... But the stakes are higher. Yeah, yeah, you don't see him playing that freewheeling style as he mm. did in San Jose. So I think there is some truth to that. Um, the other guy we haven't really mentioned for the heart, David Pasternak. How do you feel about his chances? Because, you know, Boston, where they are, you know, you lose Bergeron, you lose Krejci. Yep. Um, they've had a lot of injuries. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's top three in goals. I think he's top three in points. He's been around there the whole time. Such a dangerous player. Where, where do you put him in that kind of category? He's a great candidate. You make a really good point there. That w- He kind of gets lost in the shuffle for whatever reason. I don't know if, if it's because he's a winger and not a center. He doesn't like, wear flashy enough suits, maybe? May, well, he's got the great hats, <laughs> right? Joking. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, again, Boston is exceeding expectations. It feels mm-hmm. like that's all they really do these days, you know, whether they have Bergeron or not at the helm. I think he's a sneaky candidate. I, I think maybe because Boston is so solid overall, that kind of obscures just how good David Pasternak has been. We keep talking about their goaltending. Goaltending is great. Yeah, exactly. And like Char- Charlie Coyle has stepped up for them. Like that was something we were concerned about. Is like, what are they going to do down the middle with no Bergeron, no Krejci? And you know, right. Matthew Potrock came in and he helped out as a rookie down the middle. But then obviously Coyle has been important too. Um, you know, and, and they do have a good defense overall. But passionate, yeah, it's a really good point. But, um, no, it's yeah. Good. It's, it's, it's great. Like, I know the, the Calder's wide open, it feels like, with Bedard out. Mm. Um, 
obviously the the art art Ross race is wide open. Mm-hmm. It seems like Matthews has got the rocket all sealed up. Um, but even from the Norris, like Quinn Hughes versus Kale McCarr, mm-hmm. you know that's changing every day. I think right now those two guys are tied for points. Mm-hmm. So it, it's going to be an interesting trophy race. I don't think we've ever had it where so many races are just kind of like, I don't know who's going to win the Norris, and I don't even know who's going to be the finalist for uh, the Hart Trophy the way it's going right now. Very true. And, you know, again, going back to, you know, we were talking about Edmonton earlier, with Connor McDavid, obviously... You know, if they stay in this playoff position and even move up a bit, let's see what the gross numbers are for McDavid. Because he had a slow start for the season, but he's hot now. And obviously, he is one of the most important players in the league. So if he continues, does he get some heart love for the turnaround where people say, okay, well, when he wasn't playing well, they were dead in the water. Then he was McDavid once again, and they were a playoff team. Be interesting to see how voters think about that. I would bet you that McDavid finishes the season uh, as the top scorer. He, he's, he's tied for six right now, and, it, and it, yeah. it, it is a sizable gap. He's He's got 59 points going into Saturday night's games. Kucherov's got 75. That being said, McDavid could close that gap in a week. I was going to say, never bet against McDavid <laughs> and never bet against us coming to you with hot hockey talk constantly. <laughs> and we are pleased to be joined by our Florida Panthers Editor, reporter, David Dwork. How are you doing there, David? I'm doing great, Michael. Good to hear from yeah, you. It's, Thank you uh, it's been an uh, odd season for the Florida Panthers. And I say odd because I thought after how many bodies went down in that Stanley Cup run where they lose to the Vegas Golden Knights in the final, this was a team that was primed for a Stanley Cup hangover. Instead, the way the standings are shaking out right now, you know, the Panthers are right breathing down the neck of the Boston Bruins. How kind of pleasantly surprised are you that the Panthers have been able to kind of keep up this pace so far? I feel like I'm one of the few people that wasn't that surprised. I was expecting them to kind of pick up where they left off. The only concern that I had was how they were going to adjust to the injuries earlier in the season because we know Brendan Montour, Aaron Ekblad, Sam Bennett, they all missed a pretty decent amount of time in the first half. But the reason that the Panthers were so good the second half of last year and into the playoffs, it wasn't like that they caught a hot streak or anything. It was just the culmination of everything that they'd been learning and been working to get through from Paul Maurice and the systems that he was installing. It all came together right at the right time for them last year. But there was no reason to think that they weren't just going to continue that and build on it this season. And I think that's what we're seeing. So perhaps people outside of South Florida are surprised because for the reasons you said, they got hot at the second half, perhaps it's Stanley Cup hangover and the injuries. But no, the Panthers are rolling right now. And I think uh, all the credit goes to, you know, aside from the players, all the credit's had to go to Paul Maurice and Bill Zito for putting the team together. Mm. Now, one of those big injuries, obviously, was Matthew Kachuk, and he made pretty miraculous recovery. Um, but it was a, a bit of a slow start for him this season, you know, trying to find his, his goal-scoring range. Feels like that's done with now. Has Matthew Kachuk finally found his groove after that tough start? Yeah, I think it's more just like the, the goals are starting to come for him now because the style of play and the way he comes day in and day out hasn't really changed at all. He still plays that same physical style of hockey. He's still been really good at setting up his teammates and his line. Even before he got hot, that line with Sam Bennett and Carter Verhage was really starting to turn a corner and look like the the dominant unit that they were late last season and into the playoffs. Uh, There was no concern down here in the first couple of the months of the season, whether you're speaking to Matthew Tichuk's teammates or his head coach and Paul Maurice. Nobody had any issue with the lack of production just because he was doing everything else that he was asked to do and the team was producing around him. So now it's just 
you know, starting to go in for him a little bit more. But really, he hasn't changed much in his game. I think it's just, you know, the law of averages starting to, to even out for him. Now, watching the game last night, David, against the Minnesota Wild, and what a, what a wild game it was. Uh, obviously, a lot of penalties, but a lot of physicality. And, you know, I was telling this to Ryan earlier that, you know, the Florida Panthers look more like the Boston Bruins than the Boston Bruins do these days in the sense that there is a level of team toughness. And perfect example is that, of that is uh, Will Lockwood, you know, bumping into Marc-Andre Fleury, whether it was on purpose or not on purpose, but then dropping the gloves. Doesn't end well for Lockwood, but th- that is a perfect example of, you know, this Panthers team is fearless. And again, when we're looking at with an eye to the playoffs, it's a team that I do not want to play if I'm the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Tampa Bay Lightning, or any team in the East. H- how are you finding that that identity for the Panthers? And really, it's, you know, we saw it last year in the playoffs, but it really has carried over, hasn't it? Yeah, it's something that started when Bill Zito first got hired. The first two moves he made was to bring in Patrick Hornquist and Radko Gudis. And while neither of them are still playing for the team anymore, Hornquist is now in a front office role and Gudis got that great deal in Anaheim. That really set the tone for the, the changing of the culture in South Florida and the players taking a little bit more pride in the full scope of the game, not just you know the scoring and the winning, which obviously is a big part of it. But as you guys know, there, there's so much more that comes to building a championship team. And that's what the Panthers have been working towards. Now you've got this group. The depth is such a key element for the Panthers when you talk about a playoff team. But just the way that whether it's, you know, on the top line with guys like Evan Rodriguez or Sam, Sam Reinhart or all the way down to the Jonah Gadoviches and the Will Lockwoods of the world and the Ryan Lombards, uh, it's just a very well-rounded team that, that they've got no fear in terms of, you know, whether it's stepping up to the plate and dealing with a physical game like last night, which you see a decent amount with Panthers hockey, which is, you know, interesting this season because, as you said, they've got that target on their back. But yeah, it's just, it's a well-rounded team. And I just kind of keep going back to the way that it's been built because they've really touched on every facet that you'd want when you're building a contending team. Now, David, as you were talking, our producer was in our ear. We're pre-taping this. So Will Lockwood is going to be having a hearing on Saturday uh, for the goalie interference against Flurry. You know, with Sasha Barkov out right now, how detrimental is this going to be to the Panthers lineup if they end up losing uh, Lockwood, another forward, uh, for one or two games? Well, fortunately, Lockwood is a winger, and I think when the depth gets really murky for the Panthers is when they start losing their centers. Like Barkov is out right now, and that throws a wrench into things just because it, it changes the whole makeup of the lines. Florida's depth, as I said before, is, is such a big part of why they can be so good, why they can be a good playoff team. And when you start plucking centers out, you mess with the lines and the chemistry, that's where things can get a little murky. And we saw that last year in the playoffs because Sam Bennett was playing hurt really much of the Carolina series and into the final. Uh, they lost E2 Lostarainen, who plays wing, but he's got a center element to his game on that line with Anton Lundell. And this has really screwed up their depth. So with Lockwood, the Panthers will be fortunate because they've got, it's depending on the role, a lot of Panther fans like to talk about, oh, you need to call up guys like Mackie Samistevich and Justin Sordiff because they're the top prospects and they're playing really well in the AHL right now. However, you're not going to bring up one of those guys to play in a bottom six role. Florida's got a lot of good thumping guys. Zach Dalpy's the first guy that comes to mind. Just the consummate professional can play any role for the team. The Panthers have guys they can call up if Lockwood does end up getting suspended. But I don't think that's going to be as big of a deal in terms of the depth of the forward unit as it would be if he were a center. Right on. Now, one very important winger for the Panthers, Sam Reinhart, having an incredible year, a career year. Also a contract year, which good for him, maybe not so good for Florida's cap situation, but do you think they re-sign Sam Reinhart? And, and what does that contract look like? 
That is such a good question. And we, something we've been talking about down here, especially in the last couple of weeks since uh, the Willie Nylander deal dropped with Toronto, thinking that's maybe going to set the market for the elite forwards of the in the free agent class of this year. Uh, Reinhardt has said nothing over the last year and a half other than that he wants to stay with Florida. He loves Bill Zito. You know, Bill Zito traded for him. He gave him this contract when he signed when after he traded here to Florida. And Reinhardt's got nothing but happiness down here. He got married over the summer. Him and his wife were settled down here. So Reinhardt wants to stay. The Panthers want to keep him. It's just going to be a matter of can they get you know on the same page with the dollars and cents. Florida's got the no state income tax, which always is a benefit when you're negotiating. But I mean, you know, it's really going to be up to Sam Reinhart. What does he ultimately in his heart of hearts want to do? Because if he wants to take this to free agency and he wants to go to July 1st next summer, he will surely be able to maximize his value, assuming he continues on the season that he's having. And, you know, good for him if he wants to do that. Certainly his right and he's earned it. But if he wants to stay in South Florida the way he has said he has and the way the Panthers have said they want to, you would hope that they can come to an agreement on some kind of a deal. You would think maybe in the 10 million AAV range just because, again, Reinhardt will get the benefit of not having a state income tax. So his bottom line would be a little bit different than if he took like an 11 or 12 type of deal outside of Florida. But I think it's just going to come down to what he truly, truly wants in his heart. And that will play out over the next couple of months. Because if he wants to stay in Florida, I would imagine they'd get a deal done before the season's over. Yeah, just to finalize that point, third straight year uh, that Sam Reinhardt has put up 30 uh, goals. Obviously, he's on pace for probably 50, maybe <laughs> the way he's scoring right now. It could even be a 60-goal season, but wow. why the heck would this guy want to leave? Yeah. Listen, uh, thank you very much, David, uh, for your time. After the break, we've got a new segment, Would You Rather? Mm-hmm. Really interested to see what that's all about. For the Hockey News pregame show, uh, check us out after the break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to the Hockey News pregame show. we got a new little segment here. I'm calling it Would You Rather... And basically going to take two NHL teams, give you the scenarios of, would you rather be Team X or Team Y? And we're going to start off, would you rather be the Buffalo Sabres, mathematically still in the race, but it's not looking good, or the Ottawa Senators? Really no hope at all, eye to the future. What's the third team, Ryan? No, it's just the two teams. Oh, just, just the two. Just the two. Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I will choose option three still. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Um, yeah, the Buffalo Sabres, I don't want to beat them. Um, I wouldn't want to beat them for the... How many years has it been now, Ryan? Is it 12 we're talking? Probably. Oh, God. Um, yeah. I don't even be a Buffalo Sabres fan, never mind, on that team. So, uh, Although I could see the Buffalo Sabres going on a late run once mm-hmm. again, um, you know, causing a lot of hope in that marketplace and being like, oh, if the season just lasted another two weeks, yeah, really. we would have been a playoff team. Yeah. No, you wouldn't have. There's, re- there, there's a lot going wrong in that team. I don't know how to fix it, but um, yeah, to your answer, I think I'm going to choose the Ottawa Senators. Mm. Uh, things have been <laughs> very wrong with the Ottawa Senators this year. However, you still got Brady Kachuk. You still got Tim Stutzla. I don't know what you have on the back end if you're going to trade uh, a Jacob Chikrin or a Thomas Shabbat. I know there's uh, talk of maybe moving one or both. But, mm. you know, I still believe in the Ottawa Senators. I believe in the core that they're uh, starting to build there. 
I'm hoping that you know Steve Stales, Dave Poulin can really get this team on the right track. But you know they need a new coach. I don't think Jacques Martin is going to be the long-term answer. Obviously, mm. at his age, he's right. not. Um, but yeah, um, neither one is in a good spot. It's true. I think I'd still rather be the Buffalo Sabres because the Senators have been the bigger disappointment this year. Again, we've talked about this a lot. You know, coming into the season, it felt like those two teams in Detroit, you know, two of them were going to step up. Yeah. Turns out it was just Detroit. (laughs) Uh, Buffalo, they've basically been the same that they've been the past couple of years where it's like, you know, there's hope and then it gets snuffed out. And then, as you mentioned, you know, at the end, they kind of come on. And, and get everybody's hopes up. At least the Bills are still in the playoffs <laughs> for now. That's something for Bills Mafia to you know, get in on. And you know what? I'll, I'll back up your point there. Buffalo is what, a goaltender away from being a contender? Yes, or is at least is, a playoff team. Yes. Yeah, is, is it that simple, though? Whereas I Ottawa, kind of I don't even know what they need to do. Well, Ottawa definitely needs goaltending as well. Uh, but you know, to your point about Chicken and Shabbat, I, I saw a stat the other day. They're li- they've literally been the worst defense pairing in the NHL in terms of like goals surrendered. Mm. Um, so that's got to change because they were supposed to be the answer. Um, so I'll go. I'll go Buffalo because I know it's painful that they're probably going to miss again. But I do feel like Ukapeka Luokinen could be the starter and the goaltending. It didn't work out at the beginning of the year, and that put them behind the eight ball. I think they rushed Devin Levi, and oh, that yeah. was their problem. I don't think they're going to make that mistake again. So I think they should be okay, but hey, we've said that before. Next one. Would you rather be the Washington Capitals or the Pittsburgh Penguins? Two incredibly similar teams where they might be playoff teams, they might not be, and they got aging, aging cores. Yeah, I'm going to go Washington all the way. Um, I had the pleasure of talking with Spencer Carberry for a magazine story for the Hockey News. And one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize, yes, they have a core that is, you know, the team that won the Stanley Cup, the Ovechkins, the Oshies, or the Backstroms, mm-hmm. um, the John Carlsons, those guys are starting to age out. But they've got a real good young core that's really coming up. Guys like Hendricks Lapierre, um, Ivan Mirshenko, mm-hmm. uh, Connor McMichael, Rasmus Sandin from Toronto, um, even guys like Matthew Phillips, uh, who's you know, maybe not part of that real young core, but they actually have picks and prospects coming up. Who's coming up for the Pittsburgh Penguins? Yeah. It, it's really just Sid Crosby, Chris Letang, um, Genny Malkin, Eric Carlson, and a bunch of dudes. Right. And I just don't see any way out of it for Pittsburgh. Very fair point. You have convinced me. Because okay. <laughs> um, you're right. If you look at the different pipelines, even though neither team has drafted that often mm. in the past decade, like Pittsburgh basically has like Braden Yeager. Right. Right Right now. I mean, hopefully they have, an, uh, they have a couple of good drafts uh, in the future, but they keep trading away picks, uh, which doesn't help. Whereas you look at Washington, Ryan Leonard. Yeah. Ryan Leonard's not going to take long. Like maybe he does a second year at Boston College uh, if he wants to. But he could fit in pretty quick. Side question. If Will Smith leaves to go to San Jose maybe at the end of this year yeah. and Boston's done, do you think it's like a chain reaction where uh, Gabe Perot, Perot and mm-hmm. Ryan Leonard also leave? I would say Perot would stay because he still needs to, like, you know, sort of hone his all-around game, get faster. And the Rangers, they don't need him right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leonard, I'm not sure because... 
He's such a competitor. If Boston College does not win the title, mm-hmm. and they could win the national championship, they are that good. If they don't win, I could see him going back to try to win it again because they'll still have a pretty good uh, core with the Eagles. Um, but it also depends on what Washington needs at the time. So right. it's a very good question. So yeah, I'm going to go Washington because they do actually have a future. Last one. Would you rather be the Vegas Golden Knights or the Edmonton Oilers in the first round playoff series that would take place if the postseason began today? So who do you, basically I'm asking who you got between Vegas and Edmonton head to head. Yeah, because like the way they're stacking right now, Vegas is two, Edmonton is three in the Pacific. So yeah, they're going to be playing each other if the season were to end today. Which would be fantastic. Jack Eichel, Connor McDavid. Colossal. Yeah, I think that's what everyone has kind of been waiting for. We thought it was going to be Buffalo, Edmonton, and a Stanley Cup final. Obviously, that didn't happen. Right. So we're stuck now with Vegas, Edmonton. Oh, how can you take any team other than Vegas? Um, defending Stanley Cup champs, I'd love to be them. I think their defense is probably the best defense in the NHL, if not top three. Um, Love Mark Stone. Jack Eichel, once he gets healthy again, and be fine. Yeah, um, Edmonton's a great regular season team. I'm still not convinced that they're a playoff team. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you there. And, you know, I, for me, one of the signature moments of last year's playoff was Jack Eichel on a Connor McDavid turnover getting the empty netter uh, when Vegas and Edmonton were head-to-head there. Um, I, I, I'm the same. I feel like... Edmonton's goaltending, it has been better, sure, but when you get to the playoffs, you're facing all those guns that Vegas has, including Eichel, Mark Stone, uh, the whole cast. I think it'll be too much. They're heavy. Uh, They know how to beat the Oilers because they've done it before, so I will go with Vegas there as well. That has been Would You Rather. Ryan, you know what time it is. It's time for the Fire of Rapids. Our favorite time of the episode. Here we go. Connor, producer, hit us up. I appreciate that you pretend it's your favorite time. (laughs) You talked about this a little bit earlier, but I want to do some awards because every team, except for Ottawa and Edmonton, who will hit the halfway mark tonight, have played half a season. As is tradition, I want your predictions. All right. We'll start off. Who is your cup final prediction? Cup final prediction. Ooh, okay. Uh, You know what? I'm going to stick... With my preseason prediction, just because it's, it is unpredictable, I'm going Carolina-Dallas. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I think teams are going to heat up. Okay. Uh, I'll go Rangers-Golden Knights. Nice. Yeah, I, I think the Golden Knights are going to do back-to-back. Nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, we already did the heart, so why don't we do the Vesna? I'm going Connor Hellbuck in Winnipeg. Uh, I think it's going to be a tight race, and yeah. there are a couple of very good answers. But right now, he's leading in goals saved above expected, and the Jets are hot, so go with him. So I, that's a hard one for me to say it's not going to be Hellebuck, because I kind of agree with Ryan right now. I think he's running away with it. Huge reason why the Jets are where they are. Mm-hmm. I'll go with Thatcher Demko, though. Um, the Vancouver Canucks. You know, we can talk about PDO until we're blue in the face, mm. but Thatcher Demko is just as much of a reason why the Canucks are where they are. Well, and the reason their PDO is so high is because Thatcher Demko is so good. Amongst It's like his save percentage and their right. shooting percentage, right? So it's like they you make a good point. Okay. Yeah, Demko's a good one, too. Well, I have, I have a feeling we'll be sticking in Vancouver. Who are your Norris predictions? Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like a two-horse race right now, and I will go with the obvious 
Canuck and Quinn Hughes. I mean, he's been such a great driver for them. And the Norris also tends to be the award where guys like get their turn. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and Quinn Hughes doesn't have one yet. So I feel like maybe it's his turn. Well, maybe he doesn't deserve a turn because Kale McCarr, I think, is going to go down as, you know, one of the greatest defensemen of all time next to Bobby Orr and some of the other folks that have been up there, whether it's a... A Paul Coffey. Uh, yeah, Paul Coffey, sure. Um, but yeah, I, it's going to be one or the other. Yeah. And if it's not Hughes, it's going to be McCarr. And I think the abs are starting to really heat up right now. So second half, I could see McCarr kind of running away with it. Mm. We debated this on a racing episode. Who are your Calder picks? I think it really comes down to when Connor Bedard returns, <laughs> how quickly he gets back up to speed, and, and ultimately how many games he does play um, you know, if he maintains that same points-per-game pace. So if he plays, I would say, at least 60 games, I'm fine with him winning the Calder, assuming he's still... He'll get 60 games. Yeah, if he gets 60 games and, and is still like the points leader then it's Bedard. If for whatever reason he falls off or gets hurt again, Brock Faber's my guy. Ooh, this is a non-interesting race, Ryan. I hate to say it. Um, this, this is not a lot of juice when mm-hmm. you're talking about the rookies. Like, Bedard was putting up points where I was actually getting excited. Now I'm looking at it, I don't know, maybe Marco Rossi. I'm going to say Marco Rossi, but I, I think it's Bedard's to lose still. Fair. All right. How about the Jack Adams? I, I got two names, and they're totally different. John Tortorella, because Philly has been so much better than we expected, and then Rick Tockett in Vancouver. Although, I guess not everybody was big on Vancouver at the beginning of the year either, but I'll go Torts. Chris Knobloch? Oh, that's a good Ooh. one. You know what? The way the Edmonton Oilers are playing, if they finish one, two, or three in that division, he's going to get a lot of love because that team, like you mentioned, early November, worst in the NHL. So, yeah, I'm yeah. going Knobloch. All right, real quick, just because I love this award, Bill Masterton. Max Pacioretty in Washington. Uh, Logan Couture plays tonight. Uh, I think he's making his return for the Sharks. I'm going to go Couture. Mm. Um, who the heck wants to come back for the Sharks? Listen, you come back next week because we got more of the Hockey News pregame show. Thank you to BetMGM and NorthlandHockey.com. That's Ryan Kennedy. I'm Michael Trakos. We'll see you next week at the rink.